We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Field of 68. Field of 68 till I die. You got somebody, hey, Jeff, shut up. Hell no. I'm sorry, man. I blacked out for a second. <laughs> this is Alabama coach Nate Oates. When we're not playing. I watch Field of 68's After Dark Show. This is coach Bruce Pearl. I love the Field of 68 After Dark Show. This is Duke head coach John Shire. Check out Field of 68 After Dark. This is Xavier head coach Sean Miller. I highly encourage you to take a look at After Dark. Now listen to you guys every morning when I'm getting ready. This is Field of 68 After Dark. Hello and welcome. It's the Field of 68 After Dark. And it's the week of the Final Four. Gentlemen, I am so excited. Uh, it's a wild Final Four, to say the least. I don't think anybody on earth expected these four teams to be the teams who are headed to Houston with a date to potentially cut down the nets and win a national championship. But I'm still excited for it. We got Rob Doster here. We got Tyler Hansbro here. My name is Greg Waddell. Uh, and as always, you can watch us on the Field of 68 YouTube channel. We are also live on Sirius XM channel 84. Uh, if you are watching us on the YouTube channel, stick around after the show. We will do the afters. Take any questions you guys have that you throw at us throughout the hour. If you want to ask Tyler Hansbro anything about the Final Four, now is your chance, ladies and gentlemen. And Tyler, I don't like to do this to you. I've never done this to you before, my friend, but I'm going to ambush you with something here. Rob and I had a little surprise in store for you tonight. Rob, you want to take it from here? A little whistle pig. <laughs> so, I know about whistle pig. What do you got? <laughs> I, man, I don't even have a drink right now. I feel ashamed. I'm ashamed of myself. I should have got some good whiskey out with you. Rob was on the phone with me about 10 minutes before the show, ambushing me with uh, critiques, as always. And, and uh, he goes, you know, we should we should probably toast to Tyler tonight with some bourbon. I was like, amen. So this is Makers in my glass. Uh, it, it's not see-through, as Rob's is, but uh, this is in your honor, Mr. Hansbro. It's the final four week. You are a man who knows a thing or two about final fours. And that is the energy we needed to do to start this show. Uh, let's start, Rob, with your team. We're going to get to a lot of different stuff to the hour tonight. Obviously, we are headed down to Houston this week for a bunch of live shows. So we're not going to get too into the weeds with this show uh, as far as matchup previews. We're going to keep this kind of big picture so that we save a lot of that stuff for later on in the week. What we are going to talk about tonight, who should you be rooting for? Whether you're a casual college basketball fan, whether you're someone who lives, breathes this sport, 
If you don't have a team here, who should you be rooting for? Is it Rob Doster's UConn Huskies? Is it one of the other three teams who are a little more surprising to be here? We're going to talk transfer portal. A lot of movement in the last day. It's been a crazy 24 hours, particularly with Tyler's Tar Heels. Uh, and then at the end of the show, we're going to ask Tyler what it's like to go through a Final Four. What's the entire week like? Do you have time to think? Do you have time to have fun? Or is it just basketball, basketball, basketball? But first, gentlemen, Rob, let's start with your team. The UConn Huskies are the favorite to win the national championship. One of the last shows I did on After Dark was with the two of you gentlemen. We went game by game for the tournament, filled out a bracket, and we had the UConn Huskies winning this tournament, and I rolled my eyes. I said this was homerism. I made fun of you. I said there was no chance this is going to happen. And now here we are with... Two games left to get there, and UConn is a betting favorite at Bet Rivers to win the national championship, minus 139 with our good friends at Bet Rivers. There's some juice there as well. Rob, is this UConn? Is this him versus the field, or are you more worried than that? Well, I'm, I'm glad you brought up the uh, the bracket that we did together because I think we should all just kind of sit here and reminisce uh, about that Oral Roberts Elite Eight run. Just a memorable Cinderella run, I think, is going to get kind of lost in the annals of history. But, uh, you know, that was that was something that I, they can never take that away. They can never erase Oral Roberts from the Elite Eight. No, I think uh, I think that it's UConn against the field. Uh, and um, a lot of that has to do with how good UConn is. I think a lot of that has to do with the fact that um, I think the other three teams in this final four uh, all have some flaws or all are uh, exploitable in different ways and frankly just don't have the same level of talent that these Huskies do. And and uh, I would like to think that that is something that I would say if I was not uh, incredibly biased in this situation. But I just I mean, Tyler, you tell me, man, like, how do you how do you beat this team? How do you stop this team? How do you slow them down? Just I don't see a way for Miami to do it, and I don't see a way for San Diego State or Florida Atlantic to be able to do it. I, I'm gonna ar I can't argue with you. And what it's going to take, it's going to take for UConn uh, to have an off night, a very bad off night, because I think they're that much better than every team in the Final Four. Uh, the only team that does concern me isn't Miami, it's San Diego State. I think if San Diego State comes out and plays a very physical brand of basketball, which they do. They're a defensive juggernaut. Uh, I think they're the only team that could give them a problem if they try to make it an ugly, dirty game. Uh, I think that's the way to beat them. But uh, they've won all four games by 15 points or more. I don't think there's a team that's playing better right now. Uh, and we we said here a few weeks ago, and we said UConn's the hottest team. I, I truly believe that, Rob. I know you got a little – you know, you're kind of a diehard, but you know, I had, you know, I have no connection to UConn, uh, but I love the way they're playing. It's good to see them back uh, on this stage again. All right, let me ask you this, Tyler, because I, I think what we saw in the Creighton San Diego State game was a level of physicality from San Diego State that uh, that that Creighton couldn't really handle, and I do think that part of it was just the legs for Creighton wore down. They basically play five guys. Um, San Diego State has a deeper bench, but it feels like in the tournament, um, officials allow things to go a little bit more. They allow teams to play a little bit. They allow you to maybe hand check a little bit more. They allow you to maybe chuck cutters a little bit more. The whole concept of freedom of movement to me goes away once that 60-14 bracket comes out. Is that, I mean, you've, you've played in NCAA tournaments. Is that something that you experience? Is that something that you're seeing? Am I off base here? No, I think you're right. And uh, last time I was on here, 
uh, Tio was talking about how you have refs from different different conferences refereeing with each other. So the chemistry with officials could be a little bit off. And officials do have a different style. Some officials let it go. Some officials are pretty tight. But normally, to me, when I look at the game versus Creighton and San Diego State, you always start the game tight to kind of set a tone and say you're going to call these fouls. And then as the game goes on, you kind of let the players play a little more physical, uh, uh, in my opinion, which it kind of seemed almost to go uh, – play that reverse effect in the San Diego State and Creighton game. Because, listen, if you're going to call that late in the game, you call that early early in the game to let the players know how you're going to call and decide the game. Uh, but looking back at that foul call late, I thought it was a foul. I mean, it is it is a foul uh, by definition. But the way the ref, the game was ref, do you call it? Now that's up that's up for debate. So I don't I don't think the way that I kind of look at it is I don't think that if uh if if that call doesn't get made, right? I don't think San Diego State fans are saying this is ridiculous, this is bullshit, we shouldn't have uh we, we should have been shooting free throws for the win. Whereas if the foul does get called, the Creighton fans are, are very loud and boisterous about being upset. And that, that to me kind of says all you need to know about whether that call should have been made in that spot, but you're one hundred percent I mean, that's a foul. You put your hand on a yeah. guy's hip and you extend, that's a foul. I just don't know if um, if people are whining about it, if it's not called, does that make sense? It, it, no, a hundred percent. It's just about which side, you know, who you're pulling for. But I can tell you as a player, somebody's hand on your hip, when you go up to shoot, that is, that has a bigger effect on your shot, uh, than what most people would think, especially that little touch shot coming down the lane. That's not an easy shot. If you're bumped on the hip, especially it makes a shot tougher. And also you got to think about landing, but you know, I thought the shot off, and uh, then he kind of gave him a little shove. I'm not sure if the shove happened after the shot was released or during the process, but, you know, who knows? Yeah, to Tyler's point, I think the most controversial thing from my perspective of the final call was just that I thought there were plenty of plays earlier in the game that had equals of contact that were not called fouls. It seemed to me they established the precedent that this was a game that both teams were allowed to beat each other up. And then in the biggest moment, we get a touch call. Yes, it was a foul. No, I don't think equal fouls were called earlier in the game. And if this is divisive, like this is going to be a moment people look back on. We put the poll out after mm-hmm. the game on the field of 68 social channels and 50% of voters said it was a foul. 30% of voters said it was a foul, but you don't call it right there. And then 20% of voters said it was not a foul. So there you go. 50-50 call. Ultimately, in the end, San Diego State moves on. Tyler, it's I want to know 20% of our voters are from uh, are from the city of Omaha and from the surrounding <laughs> suburbs in Nebraska. Larger population. Larger population there than we would have expected, Rob. Tyler, I want to ask you about Miami quickly because uh, in order for UConn to actually do this, to, to clinch their national championship as a favorite here, they're going to have to get through Miami first. And I'm a little surprised, being the ACC guy that you are, that you think the San Diego State might be a bigger threat to them than Miami. When I look at this Miami team, I see elite shot makers and Isaiah Wong and Nigel Pack, I think as a shot-making duo – they have an argument for being the most prolific single two-player combo in this entire tournament long before there were only four teams left in it. But the guy who I think could make the difference in the UConn matchup is Norchad Omir. I mean, he has been a physical monster. He has dominated on the boards. 
Obviously, UConn's front court is the biggest beast in the sport right now. They gave it to Drew Timmy the entire game, got him in foul trouble, game over. Do you think that Norchad Omir can stick in that matchup, or is that part of why you think UConn will have their way with Miami? I think uh, Omir is definitely the X factor for Miami. I think Miami's guards can play. The thing I do like about Miami is they have tournament experience. Uh, they were in the lead eight last year. Uh, you know, they, they talked about it post game, uh, losing the lead eight was a big motivating factor for this team, uh, this year and it kept them focused and, you know, they, they had all the good spirit and all this other stuff, you know, kind of the, you know, reflecting the on vibes. that. Are they the vibes team of the final four? Good vibes. Uh, <laughs> let me see here. Think about it. Maybe, I don't know, determined or, uh, good vibes, uh, it's them or Florida Atlantic. FAU might have an argument for Vibes team after they took the Kansas State uh, little baby song from Kansas State. Oh, that was a pretty big Vibes right. moment. Yeah. It's close. Yeah, you might uh, be right. If it is a Florida Atlantic game and Miami for a national championship, oh my God, can you I, I mean, that's – God, Florida's been struggling since uh, the Gators did it back-to-back, but that'll be interesting. But it, here's here's what here's my issue is if Omir gets in foul trouble. And I think the X factor for UConn is Donovan Klingon, uh, freshman, the 7-2 center coming off. I mean, he's getting seven points, five boards, and almost two blocks in about 13 minutes. I think he's a huge X factor for uh, UConn. And if Omir gets in foul trouble, I'm not sure they have the size with Sonogo to really give him some issues down low in the paint. That is my only argument for uh you know, Miami, and that's why I would lean towards UConn. I think their guards can score, but, you know, Jordan Hawkins is playing unbelievable right now. I mean, he's mm-hmm. he's lighting it up from everywhere. Uh, I just don't think they had the power power or the size to compete with UConn, and I'll probably get destroyed uh, in the comments section by every Miami fan out there. But, they, yeah, I think UConn, I think he, they kind of roll past them. Rob, who yeah. scares you most of these three teams? As a UConn fan, who scares you most? Tyler already said it. It's it's San Diego State for for multiple different reasons. But uh, if you're looking at the the kind of formula to beat UConn, it is one, don't let them get out in transition. Two, don't let them get to the offensive glass. Three, have somebody inside that can take away uh, the the post touches Sonoga and like the 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 um his ability to score on the block. And four, a defense that is uh, physical enough and tough enough to take them out of what they want to run. Like, I think what you saw uh, Gonzaga do, which I think you're going to end up seeing Miami do, is that they blitzed every ball screen, every every dribble handoff, every exchange that involved the guy with the ball in his hand. They blitzed it, and they said, we're not going to let you run your shit. We're not going to let you run off of this curl. We're not going to let you get this. We're not going to let you get that. Um, and I think that that's what you have to be able to do. And I don't think San Diego State needs to switch to be able to do that. I think they got dudes that are tough enough, old enough, strong enough to kind of uh, run UConn um, out of their sets. And if you don't let them score in transition on the offensive glass and you don't let them run their stuff, they don't have guys that could beat you one-on-one. That's just that that's their weakness. And I think San Diego State has the ability to do that. I just don't know, even with all that, all that said – I don't know if they have enough talent to score more than you. Like if they're going to play a game of the sixties, I think UConn still can can kind of wear them down and beat them. They have enough guys that can just kind of go out there and make plays. So uh, San Diego State is the matchup that that worries me the most. I think you were right about that, Tyler. Definitely. 
Yeah, I mean, they can rock fight anybody to death. That's been proven at this point. Teams are shooting 17% from three against the Aztecs in this NCAA tournament. Long due to how great their defense has been, is there an open door somewhere for some team to just get hot and not miss that many threes? And then all of a sudden their Cinderella run ends. If you can even call it a Cinderella run, maybe. I don't know. I don't expect UConn to shoot that poorly from three if they do face off. I mean, they're, they're a Cinderella. We got three Cinderellas in this Final Four. You, but is it fair to call San Diego State in context of the other two teams that are here? I mean, I guess Miami's right in with them, right? But like, it feels I mean, wrong calling those two a Cinderella when Florida Atlantic's here. I, I would have less of a, a problem calling... Um, Calling Miami a Cinderella, I would have more of a problem calling Miami a Cinderella. But like San Diego State's from the Mountain West, the Mountain West hasn't had a team make the Elite Eight ever, right? They yeah. they just they they haven't they don't have teams go deep. They're a good league. They get teams into the tournament, but anybody making this deep of a run from the Mountain West, in my mind, is a Cinderella. I don't care how good you were during the regular season. Same thing with Florida Atlantic. Now, um, I probably should backtrack. I don't think Miami's not a Cinderella. They were in the Elite Eight last year. They got a bunch of old dudes. They got a coach who coached a team that was a Cinderella to the Final Four in 2006. By the way, Tyler, I got a little factoid for you. That's probably a uh, a jinx, and I'm gonna I'm gonna tie myself into knots and twist my mind into pretzels worrying about this until the game actually happens. When George Mason made the Final Four in 2006, do you know who they beat in the Elite Eight that year? Uh, it had to be, was it UConn, Rudy Gay? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Marcus Williams, Rudy Gay, oh, yeah. all those guys. Josh Boone was on that team, all those guys. Oh, yeah, I remember that run. That was incredible. Yeah, they beat me. Yeah, well, obviously, you know that previously. <laughs> That's right. Uh, oh, round of 32. I forgot yeah, about my that. freshman oh, year. I'm sorry to bring up bad memory. Yeah, so they got us in the round. <laughs> so we're both no, anti-Larry Larry Negan. How about this, huh? Yeah. Look at this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Got me the same year. Yeah, they went on a run. And also, not a lot of people talk about how physical that George Mason team was. I mean, I mean, they were a physical beat you up. I mean, I think they their power forward, they were talking about, you know, transitioning over to being a tight end and trying to go play in the NFL or whatever. But, that, I mean, that was a physical team. We got beat up. Uh, but usually we could outrun teams. But this isn't – this is a totally different team. Uh, yeah, than the, George the, Mason the power team. forward that year was Jai Lewis. Six seven yep. two seventy five. It's a big dude. It's the beast, a unit. Yeah, absolutely loved it. Loved that entire team. Love Jim Laranega in general. I'm glad he's back to a Final Four because uh, it makes you reminisce on other moments of his career. He really has a chance to cement himself as a right, guys. Coming up, uh, we are going to talk about blue bloods. Is UConn one of them? And then I also want to ask you guys, who should we be rooting for? Who are you rooting for? What is the best story in this Final Four? That is next on the Field of 68 After Dark. But first, here's a word from our lovely sponsor. Today's episode is brought to you by Underdog Fantasy, the easiest place to play college basketball pick'em, where you can get a little extra sweat during March Madness and win real cash prizes simply by picking player stats in this weekend's games. And pick'em, all you do is predict whether a player will go higher or lower on underdogs' projected totals, whether that's points, rebounds, whatever. For example, if you're like me and you think Zach Eady is going to go nuts in this tournament, pick higher on his points projection, add up to four more picks, and if you hit them all, you can win 20 times your money on a single game. Underdog's slick mobile app is easy enough that dummies like Jeff Goodman have even figured it out. So go to underdogfantasy.com or download the app 
and use the code FIELD, F-I-E-L-D, and Underdog will match your deposit up to 100 bucks. Now is the time to get in on the madness. So remember, underdogfantasy.com, promo code FIELD. We are back on the Field of 68 After Dark Final Four Week, presented by Bet Rivers, presented by Underdog Fantasy, and presented tonight by the bourbon that Tyler Hansbro just poured. That's right. During our short commercial break, Tyler said a few short words to us. He said, I'll be back, gentlemen. I've never seen someone run faster than <laughs> what Tyler Hansbro just did, and he came back with a full glass. Tyler, what are you sipping on? Uh, this is kind of a little budget pick out there, but the Trader Joe's uh, Kentucky bourbon straight whiskey is pretty good. If anybody's had it, it's a very solid. I put it up with about anything. Yeah, so it's a great little whiskey. I wasn't going to sit here and let you guys drink uh, <laughs> bourbon and me just sip on some water, so I had to do it. Hey, that's how we know he's one of us, Greg. That's how that's how we know he's one of us, man. <laughs> I know. I'm, I, I'm both exhilarated and also a little sad that I have to remove outdrank Tyler Hansbro from my resume now. But uh, <laughs> hey, it is what it is. All right, I teased this before the hey, break. Hey, guys. Greg, I just one more thing to add, real quick. We saw we saw Tyler get up and move, man. Like you can still play. He still got it, huh? <laughs> all, all you got to do, no is sir, just... no sir. My <laughs> knee will not handle that. No, all you got to if you just say if you say Tyler, you can get Trader Joe's bourbon if you go play. You better get this guy a jersey <laughs> fueled by Trader Joe's. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, if uh, listen, if there's one person who should be worried heading into the Final Four, uh, quote unquote media open gym runs this year. It's Terrence Oglesby, who supposedly put on a show last year at that event. Uh, not good news for T.O. that Tyler Hansbro is moving this well. Oh, that's what we're doing. We're not we're not telling we're not telling T.O. that we're coming. I'm just showing up with Tyler on my squad saying, check up, T.O. What you <laughs> yeah, got, man? Yes, I could not move. I'm telling you, there's not getting up and down the court with my knee right now. It's all right. You don't have to play defense. <laughs> we'll see. We'll see. We'll see. All right. Uh, I tease this before the break, guys. UConn, Blue Blood, where do they belong in this conversation? If they win a national championship this year, they would have five titles on their resume that would tie them with the Duke Blue Devils, who are absolutely a Blue Blood. North Carolina right ahead of them with six. Kentucky ahead of them with eight. UCLA at the top of the list with 11. Those are your traditional Blue Bloods. For some reason, it does not feel that UConn is considered in that group, at least right now. If they win this year, Rob Doster, would you consider your UConn Huskies a blue blood? I I still think that they are a a a step below, right? I th- I think that Kentucky, Kansas, UCLA, Duke, North Carolina at this point are in a league of their own. And the reason I say that is cuz they've gone through multiple different eras and been dominant and been the best programs in college basketball. UConn didn't become this level until the late 90s, right? Now, if they go out and win the title this year, you will have seen them reach the peak, go all the way down to the bottom. They were like second to last in the American in 2018 when Danny Hurley got the job. And then come all the way back to the Big East and ascend that mountaintop again. And when you could do that as a program, to me, that's what kind of screams blue blood. It doesn't matter how bad things get. You're still, the peak is still here. But I don't think, I can't put them in the same conversation as those uh, those other programs just yet. Now, if Dan Hurley gets another one in the next five to six years, that's when I think you have to have a real conversation about it. But for me, it's you got the Blue Bloods, which are Duke, Carolina, Kansas, UCLA, Kentucky, right? Did I miss one? No, it's those five, right? Yeah, you got those five, and then UConn is at the top of that next tier with the likes of Indiana, 
uh, with the likes of Villanova, with the likes of Arizona, like that kind of a school. Does that make sense? I think so. Tyler, what do you think? I, no, I agree with you. And uh, UConn, to me, I've never really like. Yeah, I would say maybe Duke. Listen, UConn is a is an iconic school for basketball. I mean, is I'm not sure they're that far. If they're they are step below Duke and North Carolina, Kentucky, uh, all these other places. Um, it's not a major step. And the reason I say that is because they've had great players. They've had great history. Uh, you know, uh, Calhoun was an amazing coach. I mean, you look at Ray Allen, uh, Kimba Walker, uh, Omeka Okafor, Ben Gordon, uh, Charlie Villanueva, Rudy Gay, all these guys. Not many programs have alums like that. And so when you talk, start talking about people like that, you start talking about UConn. It's known for basketball. I'm not really sure what else – uh, UConn is really known for on the big stage. Uh, and, you know, I'm not affiliated. I'm not, you know, running around UConn much. But when I think UConn, I think of UConn basketball. And I, I wouldn't say they're a major step off. I would put them right there on the top, especially some of these blue bloods haven't really done much uh, recently. And I know UConn is making its way back up to the top. Yeah, I but the the only thing like UConn's got a fifteen to eighteen year history of basketball before this year, right? Eighteen and eighteen to it was like the late nineties to the mid twenty tens that they were at that. To me, it's just that is just Jim Calhoun doing what he does great instead of UConn being this great elite powerhouse program. Now, if Dan Hurley gets it back to that level after that dip, like that, then then all of a sudden you have to have a. I mean, they're they're a blue blood. They are what they are. How does how does this play into this though, Rob? Because I think like I think you're right as far as longevity goes in this conversation. Like we're we're what two decades really removed here that we're talking about this era for UConn, where all these other quote unquote blue bloods, you're going back fifty plus years. When I think about what separates UConn from that second tier, though, and I whether to put them in tier one or tier two or in a tier of their own here, it's the fact that even when considering Calhoun's career. If they were to win a national title this year, you'd now be talking about two more titles with two different coaches since Calhoun was on the sidelines. Like there aren't other programs that can point to that at all. And I don't know if that's something about like UConn has this magic when it's a weird year, when there's final fours that are wide open. Like it would be insane if UConn wins it this year in the same fashion that they did however many years ago it was when they're playing Butler for the national championship, right? Like it's, mm-hmm. it's, it's crazy. It's broken out that way, but I think that does matter in the blue blood conversation when you start counting titles and UConn has one more than Kansas does. Yeah, no, look, I trust me. I get it. And and I'm probably as biased as anybody, but it's just, it's the idea that they had one era to me. It's about more than just, if you're a blue blood, then it doesn't matter who the coach is. And I know that they won one with Ollie, um, but that one that they won with Ollie is like it's a bunch of Calhoun's players and Kevin o- and, and Shabazz Napier going nuts. You know, like you know what I mean? Like it's not it's not like Kevin Ollie built something on his own there. Whereas Dan Hurley took this from the ground up and he built it quicker than Jim Calhoun did. And, and it took less time for him to get it back to the elite level than than it did for Jim Calhoun. Now, a lot of that probably has to do with the fact that, you know, there's pedigree there. But um I do think that to get to to get to the blue blood status, it's got to be more than just the Jim Calhoun era where you're the, the elite of the elite. And I think that now 
I mean, they're number one in Kempom. They got this great recruiting class coming in. They're going to be in the mix with every any portal kid that they want because of the success of like Naheem Aline and Joey Calcaterra and these other guys. Like, they're they're back. They're going to be they're going to be back. I just I have a hard time putting them in that at that same level just yet. In terms of like if we're talking about the the history of the sport. Now if we're talking about the the two thousands. Then yeah, UConn's up there with anybody. But if we're talking about the history of the sport dating back to the fifties, you know UConn is they've been relevant for a third of that timeline. Does that make sense? I think it so. does to me. Yeah, yeah. No, it does. Uh, I would just say, I guess, like if it happens this year, then now we are talking two eras, mm-hmm. though, and then that's where like it becomes mm-hmm. harder to separate them from that uh, tier, right? Because there aren't programs that can span multiple eras like this we'll see um it kind of like comparing it to villanova to me it's kind of like like where would we put villanova until there's a post jay wright era right well, but they then also all they sudden, won the they won the title in 1985 i know it was as a nine seed but yeah true um, yeah so i right now i think that they're kind of in that same that same category right they're not quite what the big four are um and honestly i would probably have ucla a little step below uh, the other big, the other the four blue bloods. Yeah, they, I mean, they won a whole bunch with John Wooden. They've won one title. Wait, wait. Are we I at agree John with Wooden? you. They've won one title since what? I am, and <laughs> I mean, it's too far. Yeah, let them know. I mean, Tyler, so, let them know. Don't, don't, let them know. It's too far. I mean, you got to dust off the history books to look at the national championships. <laughs> so, here's my point: is I think Gonzaga might be more relevant in a few years, even though they haven't won a title. It feels like they're more of a powerhouse than UCLA. And to, to my opinion, because we're always talking about Gonzaga, national championship game, final four this year. What if they won it? Is the final year that few finally gets a national championship? Well, Gonzaga has been pretty relevant, too. Uh, I, I wouldn't classify them as a blue blood, but I would say they're maybe a step below uh, what a blue blood would be considered. Yeah, I think. Yeah, you're, you're right. They got to get a title to get to that level. Like, I know it's 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 nitpicky. And the tournament is weird and fluky, but like you got to get to get into that conversation to the top, the very top tier. You got to have a title on your resume. Greg, how old are you? I am 29, Rob. You're 29. Okay. Do you know how old you were the last time that UCLA won a national title? No. You were still wearing diapers. Sounds accurate to me. Unless, unless you were, uh, you're a child of LeVar Ball and you were out of diapers when you were like seven months old. Right. That is not, that is not what was happening. Uh, okay. in my in my toddlerhood but like I mean listen I get the the whole history book thing I'm not a, a big history guy when it comes to <laughs> ranking these programs but like it, there's something special about UCLA like we're not gonna knock UCLA down a peg as the winningest program oh, in college hoops they've still been I, awesome I, I think we just did I don't think I don't think that's I think, fair I think we like, just did but like like what? Who are we putting them under that? If we're saying bring them down a peg, who's ahead just, of them? Just under, I think it's Duke, Kentucky, Kansas, and North Carolina, and then it's UCLA, UConn, and they're probably a little bit above you. But I think it's I don't think it's a top five. I think it's a top four. Then you have a conversation about UCLA. Okay, but where where is UCLA in that order though? If we're saying that's all a team, probably number five. You're putting the team with the most titles last in that group. I think I, I, think I just did it. I think I just did it. You know, a team in that group was in the NIT this year. Yeah. 
Like, and they won the title. They won, <laughs> hey, easy, easy. All right, we won it in seventeen. All right, listen, we won. They won three titles right. since the, they won three titles. Oh, since actually, the last excuse. Time no, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. We got to be a factually correct program here. They weren't in the NIT this year. They yeah, were too they, good for the NIT. Hey, that's, NIT, that's not, not in the tournament. So that's <laughs> yeah. That's true. That's true. All right. Uh, listen, I might still reserve the right to fight you guys on this. I haven't decided. There are other things I want to talk about tonight. But coming up on the show, I might just keep fighting these guys. On this, I'm not happy with where they're ranking UCLA <laughs> right now, uh, but we are going to go to break right now. Coming up next, we finally will get to who should we root for in this final four. That's next on the field of 68 after dark. Don't make promises you can't keep, Greg. I won't do that, Rob. All right, welcome back, folks. We're coming right back to it. We are live on the field of 68 after dark, Sirius XM channel 84. If you're watching us on the YouTube channel, click subscribe, jump in the comments, throw some questions at these guys, throw some slander at these guys for saying the team with the most national championships is fifth on the list of blue bloods. What are we doing, folks? What are we doing? All right, uh, Tyler Hansbros here, Rob Doster's here. My name is Greg Waddell, and it's a simple question. Who should we root for? In this final four, what is the best story? Who do you want to see cut down the nets and why? Tyler, let's go to you first. UConn, because we picked him in our bracket. And if you've been, <laughs> <laughs> if you've been following me on my uh, picks in the tournament, it's it hasn't been looking good. So it's the only bracket that I can actually stand on and look halfway decent in my knowledge. But no, I'm pulling for UConn. It's good to see them back and. You know, for what they've done uh, in the basketball, college basketball world, uh, you know, previously and currently, it's good to see them, you know, getting back to that stage and making that step, getting closer. I think UConn needs to be there. And now all these other schools, hey, it's a good story. FAU, uh, you know, marching through, never been there. Same thing for San Diego State. I love it. But I'm not a big Cinderella guy. I like to see the powerhouses. I like to see the big fan bases and the tradition there. And it feels like UConn belongs. And it's it kind of feels like they're breaking that door down again and saying, hey, we're back. I like so that. I'm going to remove wow. UConn from the list for myself. I'm just going to do it. I'm going to uh, – that's too obvious for me. And I'm going to say that the team that you should be rooting for is San Diego State. And this is why. Um the Aztecs four years ago had a team that was good enough to pull this off. They had a team that was good enough to win a national title. They spent the entire year ranked in the top 10 or the top five. Um, they were a number two seed after losing like two random games late in the season. If you remember, and I remember it very clearly, the last game that I watched was uh, Sam Merrill. Remember him for Utah State hitting that step back like 40 footer at the buzzer to beat San Diego State in the, uh, I think it was in overtime of the Mountain West tournament title game. And that was right before COVID shut everything down. And San Diego State with Malachi Flynn, with uh, with Matt Mitchell, like that was a team that was good enough to go out and make a Final Four and win a national title. And they didn't get that opportunity to do it. Neither did Dayton. That sucks. It's not fair. I feel for those guys. Um, there's four players from that group on this team. Agueca Rope, Nathan Mensa, Joel Mensa. Um, I'm blanking on the last one. Uh, Adam Seiko. Like those four guys were on that team. They're key contributors to this team. Brian Dutcher was the coach of that team. He's the coach of this team. Um, and it just it feels like that is kind of like the full circle moment that that some of those kids deserve, right? Like I, I just I was I remember when that tournament got shut down, like how how much that hurt everybody that was involved. That was supposed to be my first time on national television. 
The first I was going to do in studio stuff for NBC Sports Network for the A10 tournament. Uh, and it was actually Mike Rhodes and Matt McCall. I remember sitting there watching the screen, getting ready to go live, and it was 11.55. And they we got the notice that they canceled the A10 tournament. And I'm watching live as they zoom in on Matt McCall's face, and he goes, we're not playing? As he's looking at Mike Rhodes. So giving those San Diego State kids a chance to go and get their title, I think that that's, that's what I would be rooting for if I you know didn't have an obvious bias in this situation. I think that's such a cool story. That's fair. Um, I'm glad. And you gave me that spin, Rob. I'm not going to lie to you. I've been sort of dreading any result of the San Diego State team advancing further in this tournament, guys. Their fans, their fans are nuts, dude. Their fans are nuts. They're and nuts. I'm, I listen, I hope, honestly, I, I, I'm i bringing a San Diego State jersey to Houston this week. It's the only jersey I own of the four teams that remain. It's crazy. I don't have a UConn jersey, the jersey collector that I am. I have a Kawhi Leonard Aztecs jersey. That will make it's way with me, Houston, but I need Aztecs fans to talk some sense into me, man, because I don't like this team. I don't love this team. <laughs> I respect this team. I, this team is tough as hell. They're good. But Rob, like the average age of guys on this team is exactly what you just like. They're all like 23 and a half years old. And like, I, I can applaud them for that. That's awesome that they're still here. But like, I just, it, they're, they're all playing with their extra COVID. Year that should they or should they not have had it? It's great they gave that to everybody in the sport, but we got a team full of adult grown men that plays great defense and holds teams to 50 points and 17% three point shooting. And if nobody makes a shot against them, they might win a national championship. That would suck if that happens. Like if they win a national championship with UConn going like two for 24 from three, that would be horrendous for our eyeballs for the everybody. It's not, it's not a great. <laughs> thing for college basketball to have a team playing that way on national national television on the biggest stage like in theory in the big picture of everything you should want games played like miami beat texas it was 88 81 it wasn't a close game but it was an unbelievable comeback it was a great one i think miami scored like 42 points in the last 13 minutes of that game to come back and beat texas two relatively big brands with relatively big fan bases playing an awesome basketball game on national television and even that didn't do great eyeballs but i'll tell you this in 2011 uconn played butler in a national title game that very few people actually paid attention to it was a hideous basketball game the final score was 53 to 41 no one can make a shot it was nothing but bricks getting thrown up left and right i believe that game was also played in houston and it survived like college basketball was fine. We set record numbers this year on college basketball games being watched on the field of 68 people watching games and watching streams on. Uh, I feel comfortable saying this um, on CBS sports. I on college basketball podcast. They set records. College basketball consumption has never been better than this. Just because you have yeah. one fluky final four. Like that's fine. I'm going to give you another team to root for though. Tyler, this is, this is why you want if if, if my beats UConn. This is why you want to be rooting for Miami because when the FBI came in and tried to fuck everything up in college basketball and did it in such a horrible way that this pisses me off so much. I might go on a rant. I'm you know I'm going to avoid the rant now. Maybe later. Maybe in the afters. But wow. Um, but Miami was not involved in that at all. Their name got brought into it. It cost them a whole bunch of players, a whole bunch of recruits. It cost them all the momentum that they built in that program. They won the ACC. In 2013 uh they made a couple deep runs with like shane larkin and angel rodriguez and then boom it just completely cratered and they were terrible for like three years and jim laranago who like i mean you guys know him great dude awesome coach a lot of fun to listen to stories uh built them all the way back 
right? And now they are officially all the way back. They are final four good after being a lead eight good last year. And if they can go out and win a national title, and that's like the crowning achievement of Jim Laranega's career, and this is what gets him in the Hall of Fame, like, I, I, I can be mad at that, but I can't be that mad at that, right? We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Well, I'm pulling for Miami because they're in the ACC, too. And, and I'm with you on the FBI <laughs> stuff. I didn't like how they handled that either. Uh, I followed that FBI stuff. I thought it was a bunch of BS uh, the way they handled it. But um, I like Larinaga because I like his low-key sense of humor. And whenever Bayheim said, you know, these teams had bought some, you know, teams with the NIL money, whatever – I think he purposely whipped out his money clip on TV and flashed that and then put it right back in his pocket. And I love that move. Uh, and I think he's got a great personality. Uh, he's really funny, which is something that, uh, you know, I love to see in college basketball. He looks like he's having fun and his teams, they look like they enjoy basketball, <laughs> which <laughs> after watching North Carolina this year is a little refreshing <laughs> too. Uh, but you know, him dancing in the locker room with the guys after the game. Uh, you know, I love that. So I'd love to see the kids having fun, too. Greg, what was hey, the you, thing with the, the swimmers with Jim Laranega? You remember that? Oh, yeah, I do. Yeah. Uh, what was he was like? Wasn't he at a swim meet or something like taking in a photo op at a swim meet? In well, Miami? He, he just he just walked by. Like it, I'm pretty sure it was like there was a swim meet. Um, after they had just won the ACC and he was kind of walking by and all these people yeah. were taking a picture, all the Miami swimmers, he was just like, ah, well, you know what? Let me jump in there and take a picture with you guys. Like, that's yeah. kind of who he is and the guy that he is. It's awesome. Yeah, we him. asked him about it and he was like, I mean, pretty nice day here in Miami, like at, at South Beach. Like, I'm not just going to not show that off. Um, yeah, you guys, you stole my answer here. You beat it to death now, but Miami is my pick. I think that's who you should root for. I think that if you are going to, uh, play in this era, there's a lot of different ways and you could give San Diego state, even though I'm hating on them, that the age thing credit for it, they're doing it their way. Miami's doing it their way. The $800,000 man, Nigel pack has been huge in this tournament. And that was the story of the off season was like, I can't believe that John Ruiz has publicly come out. And there's a price tag on a player for the first time in college basketball history. And we're just like watching it out in the open. All the cards are on the table. This is how much he got paid to go play basketball in Miami. And he's allowed to do that now. And he wasn't great for big stretches of the season, but down the stretch, he's been phenomenal. We already knew what Isaiah Wong was, nor Chad Omir, another guy they got from the 
portal. I love this Miami team. I love watching them. Like you said, Tyler, they clearly love playing together. That's not like my team, the Michigan Wolverines, was at all this season. Uh, it's refreshing to watch. Larinaga is the perfect leader for it, and it's the perfect team in this era, in my opinion. So I'm rooting for the Hurricanes, uh, even though they have to get through Doster's UConn Huskies. I would say, though, like I think you can talk yourself into rooting for any of these teams. Like If you are just a fan of the sport at large, and you're looking at this Final Four like, ugh, it's a little gross, then root for UConn because UConn's a legitimately great team. And if they win a national title, they hold up in the history books of like, that was a great UConn team. You can root for Miami for all the reasons we just said. We haven't even talked about Florida Atlantic yet, but like they are the traditional little guy in this field. Like this is a team that if they won a national title, it would be the biggest thing for quote unquote Cinderella teams since Butler's runs, right? Like, and this team is a team that I think has staying power. We haven't even mentioned them, but I feel like this is not a fluky run whatsoever. They've been that good this year. Well, they have they have staying power if they're going to be able to pay these these, these kids. And I now that everybody knows how damn good they are. Well, that, right? that's like, my thing. Pull you up. That that's the, hey, look that that payroll is going to go through the roof for for Florida Atlantic. That's the one problem with being a mid major that makes a run in twenty twenty three. Is now you got to pay your coach. You got to pay Janelle Davis. You got to pay both the Martins. You got to pay the big kid, uh, Vlad, whatever his last, the Golden from uh, Golden, the, the big Golden. Russian kid. Yeah, yeah. you're going to you're gonna have to start paying some of these kids a little bit. Hey, look, FAU needs a collective and they need one fast. I want to ask you guys this. I'm completely taking this over, Greg. I don't care what you have to say. Sure. Coach K is gone, right? Jim Beheim's gone, retired. Who is the villain of college basketball right now? There's not, is there a villain? It, it's not really Coach K because Kentucky hasn't been relevant, re, relevant enough in recent years for him to be for it to be him. You got a guy, Dan Hurley, who is completely demonstrable on the sidelines, who is a complete lunatic when it comes to the ref, who loves to curse people out while the cameras are zoomed in on his face while he's yelling at the refs, who plays for a program that has, I'll, I'll agree with Ed Cooley here, a relatively arrogant and spoiled fan base that can be very annoying online um, and uh, and a program that has enough history and enough like natural rivals from old Big East and current Big East for people to hate them. If UConn can become, uh, I don't want to say become a, uh, a a dynasty, but if they become like nationally relevant, consistently top 10, making final fours every couple of years, could Dan Hurley be the villain that college basketball needs? Tyler, what do you think? Boy, you, you, gotta, you gotta have someone to root against me. You got everyone can hate the you, Yankees, you do the Cowboys, but I think he has a little more personality than Coach K. And I think Coach K, one thing that you talk about why he's such a good villain is because he kind of cut people out. No one really got an insight uh, to what he does outside of basketball. I don't know what he does to enjoy life outside of basketball. Uh, and I feel like Hurley has a little more like he's just an emotional person. And I, honestly, uh, you know, when you say, early in the year, when he's calling that ref an effing clown, <laughs> I mean, you can see people relating to that when officials make bad calls. Uh, you know, it's like me yelling at the fans or yelling at the refs at a Carolina game. Uh, but <laughs> you yell at the ref. No, come on, Tyler. You would yell the whole ref. game. That's the best thing about <laughs> being done is I can just go in there and just hammer them. Uh, <laughs> Um, what's, what's the craziest thing you said to a ref this? Year? I know you went to a bunch of games. What's the craziest thing you said to a ref? And uh, uh, nothing. Better that question: heard. Could they? Could they hear you? Could they hear you when you said it? 
maybe during the Duke game because I had a front row seat. I was just <laughs> screaming. Uh, let me see here. Uh, I, you know, I don't say anything too bad to be honest. I'm not like Hurley. Hurley go, goes in, which I like. I, I don't think he has. Uh, he doesn't have that that cold dark side, and uh, you know, you see him smile. You can see him, you know, really happy after games and wins. And I didn't really see K get too emotionally happy after big time wins. It always kind of felt like he was right there, but you could tell when he was really pissed. Uh, I, I can't think of a a hardcore villain right now. Um, I really, I really can't. I, I want to say Mick Cronin from UCLA, just because he is, he kind of reminds me of a mafia guy, the way he dresses. Uh, he gets real emotional. He can go at refs too. He reminds me of a Bond villain. Like if you watch a James Bond film, just some little guy out here that's got too much power and too much money. Causes the, yeah, no, Greg, I see you laughing. No, I thought, I mean, I, I think an Austin Powers villain would be a more afraid <laughs> than a Bond villain. But hey, listen, you already heard my uh, my kind thoughts about UCLA. I'm not here to diss them. I here's my take on the villain thing, Rob. I honestly think both Danny Hurley and his brother are uh, oddly like too cute to be villains. Like, there's a little bit of an element of charmingness to their ass hattery, right? I think like Tyler's kind of saying in uh more uh nuanced terms than what I'm saying, like when they do something really stupid and make a fool of themselves, like as an objective college basketball fan, I'm like, "Oh, that did you see that? That was kind of cool." Like, you can't have your villain do that. I would never say anything that coach K did was ever cool. He was just great and I wanted him to lose at every single turn. That's what you need. And I would never feel that way about the Hurleys, specifically Danny Hurley at all. The other element here, which is just the sad truth, is there are enough really high profile coaches who have done some really despicable human things in the last few years that it's going to be hard for someone who's just a basketball coach to be the villain in this sport right now. Yeah, but it's so easy to hate people that have done things that are hateable. You know what I mean? Like Hurley hasn't really done anything that is hateable. And actually like the funniest thing about him is if you talk to him off the court, he's like very, very kind of soft-spoken and very sarcastic and very, um, what, what's the word? Like when you make fun of yourself, self-deprecating, he's actually, yeah. he's like a really funny guy. And, and uh, I don't know how many coaches there are that I would like that you would put on the list higher than them that you'd probably want to go get a beer with. Like I'm sure uh, Huggins, Andy Kennedy, Frank Martin would be above him. Um, you know, Mike Boynton would be above him. But like he's he's up there on that list because he he's like when when you get him going, like he's a really funny like laid yeah. back dude. It's just you get him on the court and like the ref can throw the jump ball wrong and he's just sitting there. Yeah, I mean that's why he can't be the villain though. If he's at the top of the "Do I want to get a beer with him?" list, can't be the villain in college basketball. Just not how it works. All right, coming up, uh, we are going to go to break. But after the break, we're going to ask Tyler about all of the transfer portal movements at North Carolina and beyond. That is next on the field of sixty-eight. After Rob, I got a question for you. Do you ever get tired of trying to prove to me? that Dan Hurley is the villain in college basketball? Yes, I get tired of it all the time. You looked exhausted during that run, I'm not going to lie. Well, good news, my friend. I have an answer to your problems. Vaulted is a new sports prediction app that turns your opinions into facts. You can store all of your predictions and hot takes in your own vault now and forevermore. You can challenge your friends, keep track of the 
results and prove that you are, in fact, the smartest person in your friend group. Vaulted will also be releasing more than 50 pools in the next three months. All you have to do is download the app, sign up for your three-month trial, and store your predictions now and forever going forward. We love Vaulted here at the Field of 68, don't we, Rob? Yeah, I met the uh, the founder in Vegas. Awesome guy. Another guy? One of us, Greg. He is one of us. <laughs> we love like guys that are one of us. Uh, yeah, more on that later. If you see us in Houston, you'll know what that means. Uh, all right, guys. Fourth quarter here. Throw the fours up live on the field of 68 after dark. We are on Sirius XM channel 84. And if you're watching us on the YouTube channel, throw us a like. Jump in the comment section. Anything you throw at us in the comments, we will answer in the afters portion of the show right after this wraps in about 10 minutes here. All right. I alluded to it before the break. A lot of movement in the transfer portal today this week in general, but it really feels like the last 24 hours have been uh, just as chaotic a day as I can remember since the transfer portal has been a thing these last few years. And the biggest program at the center of it to me has been your North Carolina Tar Heels, Tyler. RJ Davis back, Armando Baycott back, Caleb Love announced he will not return to North Carolina. A couple faces are in Tar Heel Carolina blue, but let's start with with those three, because I asked you multiple times throughout the season, your answer always remained the same. If you could get all these guys back, you wanted all of them back. What does it mean that Caleb Love is not returning and that the others are? Well, I think Randolph Childress, actually, he had a good point. We're going to know everything we want to know about Carolina basketball once the season is over. Who transfers, who stays. I think he had a good point. The one thing I don't like about um, this situation, and I haven't really felt that great about it all year, is it felt like Caleb Love was a fall guy. And if you have this bad of a year with these type of expectations, I don't think it falls on one person. And it feels like the fans, the media, and a lot of people just kind of gravitated and just believed that, yeah, Caleb Love, yeah, he did take some bad shots. I will say that. But so did a lot of other guys on the team, if you ask me. Yeah, he didn't have the best body language at times, but neither did the other guys. And I don't I don't blame Caleb uh, for all the issues and why the team didn't meet the expectations um, and I can understand why he wants a fresh start. Uh, he's, you know, receiving a lot of criticism. Maybe he just wants to go somewhere, uh, you know, kind of, you know, do his own thing or he wasn't getting along. I don't know what, what, what's going on with him, but I do know he is a great person. I mean, I, I know Caleb, I can, I can validate that. He's a good kid. He does work harder than what probably people think. I, I go into the Smith center randomly in odd hours just to go there, work out when I'm in Chapel Hill. And I ran into Caleb multiple times just in there getting some shots up. Always says what's up. Great kid. And also after the last game of the year, if you watch the interview, Caleb specifically said, I want to play in the NIT. He wants to continue the season. And I respected that. Uh, You know, kid wants to play, wants to go play for something. And he's always carried himself, you know, in a respectable way. Uh, but I will say his body language was bad at times. There's no denying that that's being truthful. Uh, but I wish nothing but the best for him. And was there chemistry issues? Maybe, uh, probably if he wants to leave, uh, you know, I was in college. I don't think many of my teammates ever really thought about leaving. I mean, it's, it's just a great place to play. We all got along. You guys know how college is. It's amazing. And, uh, 
You know, it's it's tough to see because when I look at this team and this roster, if you were to ask me, who do I think is the best NBA player for the Carolina team? Who has the best shot at being uh, an NBA player? I would say Caleb. What does Caleb need? He he probably needs better so- shot selection. Uh, he probably needs a little bit of court discipline and a little more basketball intelligence uh, to really be the player that he wants. And he has a high ceiling. So, I, you know, do I like to see Caleb transfer? No, because I could see him going somewhere and being a, you know, having a hell of a year. Uh, but uh, what he's done, he arguably hit the biggest shot in Carolina history outside the Luke May shot because they went on to win a national championship that year against Kentucky. Uh, if you big blue nation is tuned in, you guys remember that shot. And then uh, the shot he had at the final four last year. Uh, you just couldn't help yourself, huh? You just couldn't I couldn't, I couldn't, yourself. I couldn't leave it out. And so <laughs> I love it so much. The shot that he hit against Duke in the final four will go down as one of the biggest shots in Carolina history. And I'll always remember and thank Caleb for that one. Yeah, it was, uh, wasn't it, was it over, was over Mark Williams, right? Yeah. Yeah. I, I just, the, the image, there's a picture of that shot. It's from like directly behind him and you could see the ball in the air and the arc and just how high Mark Williams handed. Like that was an unbelievable shot. I, I made this comparison the other day. I'm curious what you guys think about it. To me, Caleb Love is kind of where Marcus Carr was in 2021. Everybody saw the talent when it came to Marcus, right? Everyone knew how good this kid could be if he put it all together in the right way. And he leaves Minnesota where he he averaged like, I think it was like 19 and five or something like crazy numbers, but it's ho- like horrible efficiency numbers. Couldn't like, didn't really shoot at a high level, took bad shots. It was all the, it was all the stuff you just mentioned, the decision-making stuff, right? Like make smarter decisions, take smarter shots, uh, be smarter about kind of integrating on the court with your teammates kind of a thing. And he gets to Texas and it was a little bit of like a transition, but he got there this year. He was an All-American this year. He was as good as any point guard in college basketball this year. And again, that's like a little bit of a down year in college basketball for point guards, but he was terrific. He had 16 points, four assists, shot 37% from three for a team that uh, won the Big 12 tournament, finished second in the Big 12, uh, and made it to the Elite Eight and came within like three minutes of making it to a Final Four. I, like He ended up having a great, great final season. And to me, that's kind of, that's what Caleb Love needs. If he can find that place that'll help him, uh, I don't, I don't know if mature is the right word, but help him kind of, uh, kind of figure out the way that he needs to get more efficient as a player. Then I think you're looking at an NBA two guard right there, probably a six man. I don't know if he's a starter, but he's an NBA talent. And if you can find a way to kind of to, to get the best out of him, you're getting a hell of a basketball player. Mm-hmm. So here's here's where I would push back on that, and then I want to throw it back to Tyler for his response to you, Rob. But uh, I watched Marcus Carr at his entire tenure at Minnesota, right? I'm a Big Ten guy. The difference that I think it prevents that from being a spot-on comparison is that I felt Marcus Carr's inefficiencies at Minnesota were largely due to just the people around him. Like Marcus Carr needed to go out and take some horrible shots and try and beat everything for a Minnesota team that just didn't have really anybody around him to help. Then he had to figure out how to work himself in to a really talented Texas team. And it took him a, a full year to get there. And then by the time he did, it was like, oh, wow, this is working. 
Caleb Love has experienced almost the reverse, right? It's like he's been surrounded by supreme talent the entire time he's been in North Carolina. They had the really, really hot stretch where his shots were going in, but I don't know that his, like his decision making was ever what you would hope it would be with the types of talents he was playing with. If to the way that Marcus kind of got there two years down the road, is that fair to say, Tyler? Maybe I, I, I'm not. Boy, this would be a knock. Supreme talent might be like just a little stretch. I mean, Armando had a really good year. He's put up some great numbers. But this is still a pretty, you know, inexperienced, you know, before or boy, you're right there, Greg. I I mean, I'm trying to think, you know, it's uh it's tough to make the case that they weren't talented when they went to the national championship game last year. I mean, RJ Davis has really improved. He's shown that he could shoot. Uh Armando, we've all seen what he's done. Uh, what was missing from this team is probably leadership and is probably uh, a little bit of court discipline. Obviously, the bench could have been implemented a little bit better to give these guys uh, some breaks and not rely, uh, you know, have a sub for some when somebody's having an awful night. Um, but, yeah, I, I would say that the thing with Caleb, I felt like he put too much pressure on himself to have explosive big games. And there's nothing wrong if you're on a talented team and you sacrifice a little bit of scoring to win ball games, get better shot selection, and improve other areas of basketball. Everyone puts so much emphasis on shooting, scoring, that they forget, hey, playing lockdown defense, that's super important too. Going after loose balls, getting steals, making winning plays, that's a huge part of the game as well. And I just felt like uh, this team, not just Caleb in particular, if if they weren't scoring – they let it affect other areas of the game. And that's where I had a problem uh, specifically this year. It felt like kids were putting too much pressure on themselves. Uh, yeah. So, it, yeah, it might be good for Caleb to go somewhere and, you know, I, you know, maybe sometimes you just others. need a fresh start, man. Like sometimes it's just as simple as it, it's not working here anymore. I, I need a fresh start. And the, yep. the one thing I will say, Rob, is that, I'm, like, I'm cutting you off. We're going to go to break here. We're going to wrap the show. We'll join. Everybody watching this for the afters on our YouTube channel next. Thanks for watching the field of 68 after dark. All right. Can I finish my point real quick? Sorry yes, about that. I didn't realize. I didn't realize the time. Sorry about that. Sorry, Sorry. man. No, no, it's good. We're not, we're not live on it. So we can, they can go back and they can edit that in post. Um, so I, I think the argument that I would make is we kind of saw what North Carolina's ceiling is when Caleb love isn't, NCAA tournament Caleb Love, right? And I think a lot of that is because R.J. Davis is a good player that gets you to a certain point, and Armando Baycott is a really good player that gets you to a certain point, right? But then if you want to get to the level that your final four good, like you need second half against Duke Caleb Love. Like you need him doing that every other game. You need him playing at that level and having the confidence that that's who's going to show up. And I don't I don't want to get into the dynamics of what's happening in that locker room or the relationships between the kids there, because like there's probably, it's probably way more complicated than, than we can put on it in like a three minute segment on a podcast. Right. And like, I mean, we all went to, we all went to college, man. We know how difficult college can be um, when it comes to, uh, to friends and all that kind of like, there's a lot of emotions going on. Anything. Either way. Um, I, I just, I think we saw, what North Carolina's ceiling can be when 
um, when Caleb Love is not like elite. And I do think that that's to just kind of go back to your point, but um, I hope that it works out for him. Yeah. Right? Like he's just, he's such a talented dude. And sometimes fresh starts are all you need. And we'll see where he ends up. Let me ask you guys this. Where do you, Greg, where do you think a good spot for him would be? So I, uh, that was my question in general, not like where is the spot, but like, is Caleb Love the type of kid that can now go anywhere he wants? Because I would think if we're making a list of all the players in the portal, talent wise, he's got to be near the top, if not the very top, right? Yeah, like, I'm, I'm looking at it right now. If you're talking about just like raw talent, um, I would probably say that that haven't committed yet. I would probably say like Clear Ware, uh, Khalil, yeah, Khalil, 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 whatever you pronounce, is probably like the most talented dude because like he's a seven footer that's. Got- and depending depending on who you ask, Rob, like another uh, like the risks that are there, quote unquote risks with Caleb Love are there with Kalel Ware too. Like yeah. some of the but reasons any, that, like anytime he, I get that talented looks to leave, there's something going on sometimes. Yeah. There's a seven five center from Western Kentucky that just entered the pool portal. I think he's gonna be a pretty big player next year. I don't know his name, but I've seen him play Jamie, a few uh, games. Jam, um Jamari, Jamar- uh, Sharp. I think he'll be a pretty good uh portal pickup for somebody but if i'm thinking about where caleb goes where i think some good schools i I mean dennis gates has done a good job at mizzou um you know i'm not sure if they're interested illinois not illinois uh arkansas uh you know they they didn't have a lot of good shooters they like to get up and down i can see caleb going in a system like that but those are the only two schools off the top of my head missouri's actually he's he's yeah right Mm -hmm. yeah he's from st louis so Missouri is the name. Like when he entered the portal, the name that I kept, that kept popping up when people texted me was was is Caleb Love going to Missouri? What do you think about Caleb Love to Missouri? Was, I, don't, I mean, I don't know. We kind of did that this year with with uh, with Isaiah Mosley, right? So I don't. I'll be. I'd I'm rather be, see him at Arkansas than Missouri for sure. Like just as a basketball fan, I would rather see him at Arkansas under Muss. Like yeah, that make a lot of sense. And Muss yeah. has the personality to to kind of get him. him get him to buy in and also like it must knows that Caleb Love has an advantage he's going to give him the rock and just let him go like that's what must does what about this is another SEC school what about Alabama talk about a place that's taken transfer point guards up and down style I don't love the fit no why not I don't I don't don't love the I don't think I don't think that it would work with wants to do or what uh what nate wants to do because nate doesn't want like you dribbling the, the air out of the ball and then firing up a three like there's very much let's the, get the ball like if you watch his point guards tyler it's a lot like what you guys used to do in north carolina where the, it's the outlet and then it's the hit ahead pass go find a guy up the floor somewhere the pa- fastest way to get the ball up the court is to find the shooters and that's not what that's not what caleb love does um our you know what i, I like arkansas that actually the more that i think about it i really like that that yeah. fit Rob, that's a good tease also for later this week in Houston for our final four live shows. We are going to, at some point, play Transfer Portal Matchmaker. I put it in a Google Doc. I forced Rob Doster to let me throw ideas on paper, and I will force my way into getting like John Fanta and Randolph Childress to play Transfer Portal Matchmaker for 30 minutes. So you said Transfer Portal Matchmaker. That's that's better than uh, what I wanted to have it be called which was the tamp uh, the tamper bachelor <laughs> oh god i mean i like that too uh i feel like we would need some actual like vision like you know you let know, me let like- me promo the stuff we're doing in houston real quick um 
Wednesday night, 6 to 8 p.m., we're going to be at uh, Little Woodrow's in Edo, which is right next to Minute Maid Park. That's the same place we're going to be 12 to 2 on Thursday afternoon and Friday afternoon. Uh, Thursday evening, we are going to be at Bayou Music House, which is where Intersport is hosting the three-point shooting and slam dunk competition for uh, for college guys. That will be 8 to 10 p.m. Then on Friday night, 6 to 8 p.m., we will be at the Bayou Music House again, um, where they'll they'll have the high school competition there and then on sunday we are going to be all day at mcintyre's we're going to, our shows are going to be 12 until 2 and 6 until 8 but we're going to be hanging out there we may or may not imbibe a couple of beverages we may or may not have a sponsor that will provide some beverages for us uh it's not going to be trader joe's bourbon tyler um so i don't know like if we can still convince you to come by somehow some way uh i will i i promise you you will have at least one of uh one of the the beverages that we will be drinking there. 